pockets of a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slowdown, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety Okay, folks, I'm here with Robot Eric. How are you doing today, Robot Eric? Jason. Eric's computer is having audio issues with Zoom. So, but we're going to press forward the interview in the true spirit of Gorilla Podcasting. I have a, I don't know, a gin and tonic, I guess, with a little bit of lime in it. Um, not sure what Eric's drinking. I'm drinking, uh, it's called, it's from Six Point Brewing Brewery out of Brooklyn, New York, and it's called Resin. It is a double IPA uh, at 9.1% alcohol by volume. And um, what I, 103 uh, bitterness units, if you care, which is pretty bitter. Um, and what I like is it's in a Red Bull style can, and I love Red Bull. So, you know, I just transitioned from a Red Bull to one of these bad boys. There you go. Sounds good to me. So what I've asked Eric one here today, you've already heard him, some of his calls on the show, but we had been interacting on Discord and talking about the topic that I've had. We've had a bunch of people call in over the past few shows about why fantasy games are more popular than sci-fi games. Eric has run a lot of sci-fi and a lot of fantasy games. And so we just want to talk maybe about the idea of GM expectations and player expectations with these two different genres. And if it's harder to run a sci-fi game and if, and what Eric's experiences are as far as the, you know, the player expectations and, and, and problems players are brought to these different genres in his experience. So with that, I will turn it back over to robot Eric. Uh, yeah, so I think it's interesting because, you know, back in the day, um, and we kind of talked about this before, you know, I'm a, a little bit younger than you, so I didn't get an opportunity to play, you know, in 1982. Um, you know, I, I didn't become aware of Dungeons and Dragons till probably 87, 88, and at that point I was a first grader. So I, I didn't really get to play D&D until 91, and it was always fantasy, right? Um, and I think that's partly because those were just the books that were available to me. You know what I mean? Like if I went to the library and picked up a choose your own adventure book, it was fantasy based typically. Mm -hmm. um, the books that people recommended to me, like, oh, you should read Dragonlance. Oh, you should read David Eddings or Robert Jordan. They were all fantasy. So I think it was just kind of the, the pop culture stuff that was available to me as a nerd. I did read some like classic sci-fi um but it but it was it just wasn't as available or wasn't as in the forefront so i think that is one of the reasons why you saw more fantasy but we always did want to try to get some sci-fi to the table 
and I don't know, Jason, if you would consider um, Robotech sci-fi. I, I would. That so, was. Yeah, I, I definitely would. I, I, I got think, the original Palladium ones here. Excellent. Yeah. But see, by the by the time you got into gaming, I had pretty much moved into Palladium and maybe a couple other systems, but we were playing pretty heavy Palladium by '91. Was Rifts at Rifts was coming out. I don't know if it was out yet, but we because we were playing Beyond the Supernatural and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Other Strangeness, Heroes Unlimited, Recon, um, and then once Rifts came out, we played Rifts. But you, now you, you ask if I consider that sci-fi. We're going to take a minor divergence. I know our buddy Carl Rodriguez over the Gemologist presents. He, I, I think he defines sci-fi a little more narrowly into just like hard sci-fi, but. When I say sci-fi, what I mean is pretty much the whole gambit from hard sci-fi to space opera to science fantasy to cyberpunk, pretty much anything that's not, you know, that's modern or, or in the future, you know, maybe not steampunk because that's just silliness, but, but, but anything, you, you know, that's not silly, then we, we would consider that sci-fi. So if you look at Encyclopedia Britannica, it's a science fiction uh, it tells the abbreviation, is a form of fiction that deals principally with the impact of actual or imagined science upon societies or individuals. Um, it was popularized and invented in the 1920s um, by the American publisher Hugo Gernsbach in the Hugo Awards, if that makes sense, okay, um, are dealt out to science fiction stuff. And then it goes on to talk about that. So yeah, I, I agree that the the genres of science fiction are um, they seem a little bit more varied than fantasy to me. Um, yeah. it seems like there's more subcategories, my opinion. Maybe I mean, it's fantasy these days has you have sword and sorcery, and you have you know I I would I personally put steampunk kind of in the fantasy realm, um, high fantasy. I I don't know. I think there are a bunch of genres in both. There might be more subgenres in sci-fi but you that's that's probably picking nits right um typically i think we would say if it's and when we say modern we we're probably talking civil war up right like cartridge firearms but but modern within the last hundred years or so if anything in the future we consider sci-fi and anything you know older than 100 200 years ago we consider fantasy for the most part although we have urban fantasy which is modern day which which is actually is pretty popular when you look at dresden and you look at the uh, is Dresden Jim Butcher or whatever Jim Butcher writes and 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 all that sure. stuff. Yeah. So so yeah, so heading back, playing Robotech mm -hmm. or trying to get it to the table. One, I was a big fan of the anime. I'm a big fan of giant robots. Um and I only got this to the table one time. We had a bunch of opportunities where we made characters and had campaigns that were going to get going but we never got it to got it to the table except one time. And this is one of the reasons why I think sci-fi has a hard time getting to the table. In that game, I had people that were in Destroids, which are the large uh, mecha, but they don't, they can't jump or fly. Then you have the Veritex, which is the signature Robotech item, which is the, the jet that transforms into battleoid mode and guardian mode and flies around the battlefield at like mock whatever. And then my brother was playing like just a dude on a hover bike and we had a big battle scene and it was really hard to manage as a 17 year old. Like 
okay, this guy's flying mega fast. These guys can walk, but they're huge. And then my brother's on a hover bike motorcycle trying to chuck grenades at things and they're fighting a bunch of invid. And it was just, it was chaotic. And I was trying to run it per the rules. And as we're aware, the Palladium rule system sometimes isn't um, awesomely written. Um, and it was just kind of a hot mess. And we never played again after that. <laughs> um, so, so that's the first thing. I think science fiction can be intimidating because of the sheer scope that the technology adds, right? You have sniper rifles that can shoot miles, missiles that can shoot thousands of miles, right? You have interdimensional weapons. Um, you have weapons of massive scale that could like destroy a planet. And, and granted in fantasy, you have some of this too, but it's it's much more prevalent in science fiction. You could have antimatter weapons. I mean, you just it goes on and on and on. You have all different kinds of technology that's available that sort of can be like almost an easy button for the players or complicate things beyond what someone can comprehend. So I think there is an intimidation factor with science fiction. And I even see it with like, if I want to run a modern game where I'm like, okay, I want to run a modern game and I want to put it in Chicago. Well, people have a point of reference for Chicago, right? So now they might be able to challenge me more so if they're a person who's that type of person on what I'm setting up in the setting. Same thing goes for far-flung future, right? Like I work in nuclear power, right? So if I wanted to be a turd and you were running a nuclear power scenario, I could start nitpicking it, right? Because I actually have some knowledge on that, right? But what I don't have knowledge on is how magic works in a far-flung not real world right but when you start adding real world things in there's there's that scope of like oh my god how do i know everything there is to know about this crazy science fiction world with all this advanced technology and you know you might have a degree in mechanical engineering but you don't know that much about computers and cybernetics and you know advanced technology i mean is, is that something that you have ever thought about prior to going into a sci-fi well, game so I, I think that's all valid. I do think that's more of an issue with a hard sci-fi game, right? If, if we're playing, say, Star Wars, then we're not so worried about, or even Star Trek, arguably, right? Because Star Trek's really science fantasy, too, when you think technology, because it's technobabble. It's not, you know, hard sci-fi by any means, right? It, unlike, say, Traveler, or, or I would even say, like, the reboot of Babylon 5, or not Babylon 5, I'm sorry, of um, Battlestar Galactica. The, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, I would say, is it, it, I, I guess it depends how you want to define hard sci-fi, right? But but I would throw like the, the newer Battlestar Galactica in the hard sci-fi category where you're really dealing with technology and, you, you know, and you're, you can't you have AI and, you, you know, you have all these issues. Um, but fantasy, I, I guess the problem with the, the players knowing more about the world or knowing more about the mechanics is fairly universal depending on what you're running. If you're running a game in Tolkien's world or you're running a game in Dragonlance or Greyhawk and somebody's read all the novels or, you know, whatever, forgotten sure. films. That's good. You know, so, so that's, that, that can be a case. As far as the, the tech stuff with, with hard sci-fi, I can see that be an issue. Definitely, I agree with you. If you're playing a looser Space Cowboys game, like you're playing Cowboy Bebop or you're playing Firefly, then you're, you're playing kind of loose with the tech parts of it, you know, because the tech parts aren't that important. 
other than the fact that you, you know you need to get parts for your your ship but you're not really worried about the how it all really works right so because it's more cowboys in space so at that point i i don't know that the te- that that tech issue is that big of a deal in in those settings i think it depends on the flavor of sci-fi you're you're running I- I agree. I agree with you totally. And I think that a lot of times, though, when someone what I at least hear and what I heard kind of on the white whale episode was a lot of people were talking about running Traveler, Mm -hmm. which my uh, buddy of mine bought Traveler and Tim and I were going through it. And it definitely seemed more like hard sci-fi. I'm sure you could run it. Um, I call it popcorn Mm sci-fi, you know, where you're like, that's like the movie style stuff, right? Where you're just like sitting there watching Guardians of the Galaxy and you're seeing popcorn and just being entertained, right? That's the type of sci-fi that I enjoyed running. Um, but, you know, the way he was describing it, I was kind of like, okay, we did a char- I made a character and blah, blah, blah. But after making the character, I didn't really want to play it. I was kind of like, oh, that was kind of the game for me. I was kind of done. <laughs> like, I don't... But, um, and I think a lot of people, at least um, that are either my generation or your generation that traveler was like kind of the big sci-fi game that they wanted to try and that is kind of more hard science fiction and does seem more intimidating if you're because it's kind of like if from my understanding you can correct me on this and i don't remember what edition he had the one he had is like these black books it's newer i think it might be i don't know whatever edition it is but like the, some of the rule it's very kind of toolkitty with the rules and you kind of have to pick what parts you're going to use and like it doesn't if you want to build your own ship from scratch that might be intimidating right or you'd have to go find ships that people had already built and whatnot so i think that i think it's partly the reason one of the reasons why people haven't gotten to sci-fi is if you're picking traveler there's probably a very small uh subset of the hobby that wants to play that game like I don't, I'm not super interested in playing it, right? Like I want to be a, I want to play like the Mandalorian or mm-hmm. Firefly or even Star Trek. Uh, to me, Star Trek is more hard sci-fi. <laughs> so, the, you know, we each have our own, you know, levels of tolerance for that. So um, I, I think Star so Trek I, could be hard sci-fi, right? So I think if we look at what was the one with... Um... Scott Bakula Enterprise. So I could see that being more hard sci-fi, but once you get into the you, you know, like next generation, there's no science in there. Come on. That's that's just gobbledygook. Well, science that hasn't been determined yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's <laughs> we'll eventually make clear aluminum. I know it's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> um or the JJ Abrams movies. Come on. That's just uh, no, okay. So there's definitely I think. And not to turn this into a Star Trek podcast. I'm not a huge Trekkie, but I, you know, I watch it like any good nerd. I watch all nerd things. There's definitely the J.J. Abrams. The new Star Trek has gone into popcorn sci-fi for sure. Like even someone who's not in hard sci-fi can identify that as clearly more of an action movie. Like right, I, yeah. I think with the most recent one, yeah, where Scotty's like coming off the cliff and he has to like grab on and like flings himself up. I'm like, okay. I'm like we've we've entered a new realm of of Star Trek here, and, and they're fun as popcorn movies. And I'm not picking on Star yeah. Trek here, by the way, folks. I, I'm yeah. really not. I, I just, for me personally, I don't. Yes. I I I, I don't consider that hard sci-fi. I mean, it, but it, but ultimately, they're the terms don't matter that much when we come down to it. It's it, it's going to come down to your group, right? And, and what right. what the players in your group's tolerance are for these things, and how 
pedantic the players in the groups want to be, right? I, I think that's what we come down to. So, yeah, to, to get back on track a little bit. Um, so I think that's one of the things is just kind of the scope of things. And um, I'll, I'm, I'm probably going to misquote Rob uh, from Down in a Heap. He mm -hmm. mentioned in the Discord, Audio Dungeon Discord, and he was talking about his one of the reasons he doesn't do sci-fi is because he likes to it, this is me paraphrasing him so rob if you're listening please correct me um like he's like he likes to keep it down into like a hundred mile kind of radius if i remember what he said exactly and then he can kind of know everything that's in that hundred mile radius and will have a high level of knowledge with that and he'll feel comfortable with that that's my interpretation of what he said well with sci-fi unless you're keeping you know within 100 miles of your hydration farm on Tatooine it's the scope is too big like you have pla planets upon planets right uh you could have multiple galaxies you know you, you don't know like if you if you going in are expecting to know what's on every square inch of this of these of every planet in this system that that you have you'll never be ready to run the game so if you're looking for that level of like, I'm ready because I know the lore of this world, it, it just won't happen. And I would be lying if I said that wasn't a barrier to me getting into sci-fi because I used to have this massive problem before I run a game, I would have to know everything about the world or the campaign I was gonna run or whatever. And it wasn't until you know, so I stopped playing games in 2008 uh, because that's when I got out of the Navy and got married and we started having babies. And then I didn't really start playing again until 2017. And that kind of, I hit like kind of a reset button and I totally changed the way I played games as a player. I totally changed the way I game mastered. And I was kind of farting around trying to make my own system. And I was actually listening to Game in a BS and it was one of their die roll episodes. They mentioned this guy, Diogo Noguera, uh, was releasing a game called Swordblades and Cosmic Spells. And it was kind of like, it was like inspired by Star Wars. And I was like, okay, I'm going to check it out. And I read it and I immediately was like, why am I making my own game? This is better than what I'm making right now. So I pushed that off to the side. And I canned my campaign that I was using. It was a, a homebrewed system and everything. And I started a Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells game. And the funny thing about it was, is that the way that that book is set up, and I think, more, especially if you're running sci-fi, I think more books should set it up that way. You don't have to know everything because... Diogo has done a great job of setting up a billion tables in here that you just have to have the confidence that, hey, I can improv this, right? I can go to the Iridian sector and I can roll on this D66, this D20 table or this other, they have a bunch of other tables and I'm confident with my ability to take whatever I rolled as inspiration and then do something with it, right? So... Okay, we go here, 65. Um, so here's the content. A very strong illusion that keeps travelers moving in circles eternally or until the servants of Mereg arrive to apprehend the victims and use them as slaves in their in their leader's next enterprise. So that's the content of a random hex in a galaxy in that, that universe. 
and at that point it's like okay what is that you know what does that mean right the travelers have to figure it out it's kind of that's kind of like a star trek episode kind of right like mm -hmm. the enterprise shows up in some random galaxy and they're stuck in some illusionary state and can't get out um but that really helped me because the toolkit is so strong and the way that the monsters work in that game is they don't really have a stat block, right? They have hit dice, and then based on their hit dice, they do damage, and they might have one or two special abilities. That's it, right? So that really helped me kind of like open my horizons to the point now where even running a more complicated game, I'm much more comfortable like on the fly, just kind of like creating stuff. I used to be very like rigid in my thinking with games and like no, I have to have this monster planned out or no, I have to have this entire world planned out. And um, I, I think that's one of the key things, in my opinion, to be able to run sci-fi is you have to be willing to just go with it, right? Like if the players are like, we're hopping on our ship and the dude at the, 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 in the cantina told us there's this crazy like desert planet and we're going to go there. And you and it was just like a random rumor thrown out. Well, they're going there, and instead of trying to derail them, be like, "Okay, I'm going to go with this." And you know, say, All right, "Let's take a quick ten minute break. I got to pee." And we really, you're just actually trying to figure out what the hell is on this actual desert planet, and you're rolling with it. Um, and then I also think, for me personally the science fiction games work better with a looser rule set where you're not worried about counting hexes. Classic example is Mecha Hack, right? Mecha Hack is based on a black hack and it's a mech game, mecha combat game, kind of inspired for anime style combat. And it uses abstract distances just like Solar Blades does. And it flows really well. I mean, you can still do minis on a table. Like I'm going to run both of these at game hole. That's what I decided I'm going to do. Solar Blades and Mecha Hack. And I'm going to have minis on the table, but it's going to be just kind of abstract, like, okay, you're over here, this guy's over here, just so people can see where things are at and they can shoot. And then, you know, when I ran Solar Blades for you guys, that's kind of what I did in Roll 22 is like, because I do need some spatial like setup uh, like to help. But I think sci-fi does better when you don't try to make it super detailed. That's just my opinion and what's worked for me. Um, you know, mileage may vary on that. Yeah, I, th I, I do think it depends on what you're doing with it, but, but, but I tend to agree with you on, on a lot of that. It, as far, I'm gonna go back a little bit to what you were saying on Traveler. And, and back in the day, you're right, back before the internet's what it is and, and everybody was familiar with the internet. I realize the internet's been around for a while, but you know, back in the eighties, you weren't just hopping online to download chip designs and stuff for Traveler, right? Where, so, so that whole, you know, but nowadays, of course, all there's more than you can ever consume out there for all these games. And, and, and so you can download ships and planets to, you know, to, to your hard drives full with, you know, for these game systems. So, so that's all out there, but it does take the time to do that. And then you need to kind of go through that and figure out what you're going to use in your game. So it's still a, a lot of time on the GM, whether they create their own or they download somebody else's stuff. It's still a lot of effort and, you, you, you know, back in time there for the GM. Um, I, I agree with that. Although with fantasy, I, I guess let's, um, 
let's talk fantasy for a minute and, and let's talk the idea of player expectations. Do, do you find, cause some of the callers and, and, and you listen to at least some of my shows. So you might've heard some of these calls, if not all of them recently about these, you know, this discussion, do, do you think there's more of a universal thought of a generic fantasy out there than there is a generic sci-fi? Do you think the players have more of a universal vision of what things are when you're talking fantasy than they do sci-fi? Have you found a problem describing things in sci-fi, I guess, kind of? So, yeah, I think that the very the expectations vary greater in sci-fi. So classic example is Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells. I'm like, hey, it's science fiction. It's got spaceships. It's got lasers. But it's a little bit more sword and planet but with like being able to travel between planets and it is like hardcore sci-fi. And um, my buddy John made a character and his character, like um, he, one of its quirks was it was, it was really interested in the internet. It liked to consume internet media, like YouTube and whatever. And, and when I was explaining the world to him, I didn't mention like, oh, by the way, there is no internet in the sci-fi world because the galactic overlords have cut off communication between the galaxies so they can maintain control. So, you know, I had to, I ended up adding some internet to it, like local Wi-Fi and different mm. things to, to play off of his character, but there was no, there's no um, world, I guess world Wi-Fi wouldn't be the right word, uh, intergalactic web um, to, to go from. So, so that was an expectation thing, right? Um, you know, there's someone's like, well, my character is an engineer. I can just do this thing, right? Or um, I do, you know, I, I see expectation issues in both fantasy and sci-fi. But I think with sci-fi, it's more zeroing in on what this is, right? Like in a fantasy game, you know there's no internet, right? You know that the characters don't have an understanding of electricity unless you're playing steampunk, which I don't know. Maybe that's its own genre altogether. I don't know. But <laughs> we should do a steampunk episode. Um, right. So, you know, the, the, it's it's fairly clear. Like people have limited medical understanding in fantasy games, right? Like they throw leeches on wounds and they'll cut the arm off before they do anything, right? But in in sci-fi, there's degrees of understanding with the characters. And I, I have found some challenging moments, nothing that resulted in like a bad outcome, but yeah, it was some work to kind of explain to someone like, hey, this is here. Or, you know, you got someone who's in a vehicle and someone who's on foot. You can get it in fantasy where there's a guy on horseback and then there's a guy on foot, but it, the speed difference isn't that. It's not this, you know, this, this vehicle does 300 miles per hour, right? So you're trying to like tell someone like, okay, you're here and you can get to this, this area like instantly. And then another player is like, well, why can't I get there instantly? I'm like, well, it's like a, it's like a hundred yards. Oh, okay. Well, why can he do that? Well, he's in a car. Oh, he's in a car. Yeah. He's in a car. Oh, okay. And you're kind of going back and forth. Like I just see that happening more in the sci-fi game um, where you're trying to explain like what's going on. And, and the classic example is going back to that first Robotech game I ran where we're trying to like figure out like how this jet that can break 
they can go orbital, right? They can actually break the, the Earth's gravity and go in outer space. Like, how do I rectify that when one of the other characters is like riding around on a hover bike? You know, like, um, so so for me, the scale of sci-fi and trying to describe that sometimes is, is can be difficult. Definitely, and, and that's the classic problem with rifts as well, where you you, you know some characters have the palladium, you have mega damage, which is basically. I, Without going in depth with palladium, the idea of mega damage, we'll say hit points for people who aren't familiar with palladium. You have, say, hit points as standard damage, and then mega damage, one point of mega damage is like 100 hit points. But a weapon that only does normal hit point damage can't hurt a mega damage thing, where obviously a mega damage weapon can hurt you know, a regular thing. So you have some characters to start off that don't have mega damage capability or armor or weapons or anything, and other characters that, that do. So the, the difference between these characters is huge because the, the one character, you, you know, one shot just turns the other one into, you know, jelly. And, and it, so, yeah, the, the difference in riffs is huge because, you know, one player could be a, a dragon and one player can be a glitter boy and, and then another player is just a, you know, like a, a scout or a drifter or somebody that has like nothing. So it's <laughs> that was another game we never got to the table of rips, and we all made characters a bunch of different times. And yeah. um, but yeah, that was the other thing. You know, I think the other thing too that um, and this kind of goes in the hit point discussion since you brought it up that throws people off with sci-fi is for whatever reason in our minds, most people can kind of like rationalize. I took four sword hits, and I'm and my character's still standing right. And it kind of goes back to the the arrow, the single shot arrow thing you were talking about. Like, how do you narrate that? And then if hit points aren't just meat and they are, you know, grit, luck, battle readiness, whatever else, how do you um, resolve that in your brain when you're talking about bullets and laser beams flying, right? Like, and I think that's why some modern games haven't worked for people when you're using a, a hit point system. I know there are games out there that use wounds and you can probably die like Cthulhu, you die really fast. I think I even mentioned that in my call that you're playing before this. Um, or maybe that's a different call, I don't remember. But but I think that some people, it kind of breaks the fiction for them when they can get shot 20 times by a laser pistol or a giant like ship cannon. Like, it, it, like they have a hard time rectifying that fiction right like if we're playing superheroes like it's like guardians of the galaxy then okay it's fine you know like i'm kind of a superhero i can get shot by a laser and i'm fine but if you're just like normal dude or dudette and you get hit by a gun i think that you know what does the narration of that look like like you just got shot by a desert eagle and you you took 12 points of damage well i got 30 hit points i'm i'm okay like I guess I guess it's like uh you know classic eighties early nineties action movie oh the bullet went straight through, right right yeah <laughs> it, yeah some and some games do better than others in this respect definitely but but I that's a that hundred percent valid point the the idea that we you know we, when we watch you know like Fellowship of the Ring or I don't know if it's the beginning of anyway wherever um Boromir gets gets killed. I don't remember if it's the end of Fellowship or the beginning of Twin Towers with the movies. With, with the... At the end of Fellowship um, for the movie, right? Isn't it? I, I don't remember now. I, I, I want... 
I, I forget what, where it is in the movies, but but anyway, but the fact is, you get this guy, you know, shot up with you know half a dozen arrows or whatever, and you can kind of see that. I, don't get me wrong; I mean, in in real life, I don't see that, but I can see that with a, a heroic character, but much less so with bullets, where you know, you get if, if somebody pops you twelve times with a with a rifle, you're probably not still going to, or you know, six times the rifle, you're probably still not going to be standing there, right? So how many Medal of Honor winners? I mean, they've done things like crazy things while shot, you know, mm-hmm. maybe two or three times or blown up a little bit, but then they usually die afterwards, right? right? Like they don't survive yeah. the, their heroic moments, unfortunately. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. So no, I, I think that's true. I, I don't think, well, I think hit points is kind of a, a flawed thing anyway, the way D&D is developed where you end up with your fighter with, you know, 60, 70 hit points and, you know, more, he can take more damage than a horse can and all it's, you know, whatever. I, I think that's kind of a weird thing where a lot of the sci-fi games do go away from that because it just doesn't, doesn't work. But a lot of modern, a lot of games have issues with this because I, I think any game and maybe it's just not fun for people. Now we're totally off the fantasy sci-fi discussion, but, really there should be the chance because we think about the thief and backstab and sneaking up and killing sentries and doing different things you know arguably there should be a chance to one shot anybody in pretty much any game right because i mean whether you're using a dagger or a knife or you're using a 22 or you're using a whatever weapon system you're using you there's a chance of one shotting somebody with it in in real life without a doubt and that should exist in the game. The the game that I probably have played legitimately the most that is uh it's the the genre is diesel punk, um, which I don't know if that, I think that's a subset <laughs> of science fiction, um, is um uh Mutant Chronicles, right? Original first and second mm-hmm. edition. Mm-hmm. And that game is fairly lethal. Yeah. In that your head has like three hit points mm-hmm. and the Punisher pistol, if I remember correctly, does 1d6 plus one damage, right? So you get hit in the head. I mean, you're probably dead. Now, all of our characters in that game wore um, ballistic um, th- threaded uh, trench coats and fedoras because, you know, it's kind of like this weird like 1920s mm-hmm. meets. So, so we all did have some armor. But there was definitely um, some times, actually, one of my characters got, got decapitated, actually, by another character. That game had a lot of PvP in it. But, um, yeah, they just one-shotted him, like, sliced his head right off. No, that's so. a great example. Mutant Chronicles, now, not necessarily the 2D20. We're talking about the old Target games from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I've got that it, game. I, yeah. that's Basically, D20 roll under your, mm-hmm. your skill plus attribute. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, it. I have those it. on the shelf, too. Yeah, yeah great game. That in Cyberpunk 2020 is the same way. With Cyberpunk 2020, shots the head do double damage, and and you you can definitely anybody can get dropped with a shot to the head and killed. You, you know, with with pretty much without a doubt in Cyberpunk 2020. And Boot Hill is also that way, where you could you can get one shot in Boot Hill. So so those are exceptions to the rule. But most, I, I would say probably the preponderance of games, it, it's hard to get one shotted with with, with the, So I think if which I don't necessarily yes. want to see characters get one-shotted because that's how right. fun is that for the players. But that said, it, it if you're worried about chance. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you're worried about the gunshot stuff breaking the fiction of your game, then yeah, I would recommend like either running Cyberpunk, which is funny because those are both kind of punk games, Cyberpunk mm -hmm. and Mutant Chronicles. Yeah. I, I'm sure someone will chip in. I, you know what? I haven't read Traveler enough. Is Traveler lethal with the combat? Or, or do you have like. Um, it, yeah. It, so Traveler takes damage off your tributes. So it depends on the okay. weapon, how quickly it, it would it would kill you. I I don't I don't know that you're necessarily can get one shot with a handgun shot, in Traveler, right? Um, it, it might be possible. It's been a long time since I've actually gone so, through. So I I made a sci-fi game because I have a, a bunch of different games. Um, of course, all these are unpublished. Uh, it's called Stress Point Zero, and the intent was to emulate like uh aliens and um maybe even like starship troopers type games where where it's kind of like that and that was one of the things when i was working on the design was it was like there has to be a chance to be one shot killed with a pistol whatever that chance is even if it's lower now that game is more like i would call it action movie level heroic and not um superhero level heroic but yeah if if you get shot and you take a wound, you have to make basically a save, and the the outcomes are you save, and you're okay, you're wounded, you, you feel like you're bleeding or whatever. You fail your save and you're unconscious, and you're dying, or you fail your save and you die. Right? Like it's mm -hmm. like one shot kill. But um, I do think that 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 that's one of the things. So I have Escargenesis, which is a five E powered sci fi game. But that's like going to be a different play experience. You're basically space superheroes in that game. And so I know that if I'm playing that game, the chance of a one shot kill from a science fiction like laser rifle to the head is probably low, unless the creature has like, you know, the attack is make a death save or I don't know. There's no death saves. Well, there are death saves in 5e, but not like save versus death like in the old school games. Anyway, right. but. You know, you, you kind of have to pick the game that's going to fit the style that you're going to want to run. Like, otherwise, you're trying to, you know, do the whole square peg into a round hole thing. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I agree with that. And, and we got a little bit off there because some people are willing to play those more lethal games and some people don't want to play those more lethal games. And and that's fine. Either one's valid. Um, but, but it does, like you say, it brings something when you're looking at the more modern games, sci-fi games you do have the higher expectation or even let's think of start. So we are talking about Star Trek, right? Well, Star Trek pretty much, and there might be different, I haven't watched all the Star Trek stuff. You might've seen more Star Trek stuff than I have, but especially when we talk about the original series, which is the Star Trek I've seen the most of, if you're hit by a phaser, you're, it, if you get hit, you're either stunned or you're killed, depending how it's set. And it's one or the other, right? It's not, and even next generation, you don't have people getting flesh wounds and 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 nicks and I mean, if they're hit, they're down, basically, right? People more get wounded during the ship to ship combat, and they start yeah. when that when the when the when they get flung around. That's right. When when the set shakes and they they're holding onto the desk and 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 acting yeah. like they're being thrown around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, it, but, hurt in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's we need to get those. I mean, you, you know, you want to cut down on. You, you know lethality out in the real world we need to get those phasers out there i'd, I'd love to have a phaser you, you know that'd, that'd be great but that'd be 
if that's what police need, right? I mean, no, think Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars works in a similar fashion. Well, the Star Wars, you get a lot of wounds, right? If you think through the Star Wars movies, there's a lot, not necessarily Star Troopers, but when we think our matter main characters, right? Luke and Leia and Han, they all get friggin' winged by shots. Was Han ever hit? Yeah, wasn't he? Oh, no, Leia was hit and returned. Was Han ever? Maybe Han wasn't, but, but I mean, Leia he was did hit. get frozen but, in carbonite. But yeah, he... Leia was hit in Return of the Jedi, and she might have been in... And and yeah, but but what I'm saying is, you see, your your characters get winged and not killed by laser shots in Star Wars, right? But they also they get hit, and they're basically they're degraded though when they are hit. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like they got hit and it's like oh they took eight damage and they're just trucking along like nothing happened. Oh no, it spins them um, around and they drop down or they you know they're yeah. they're out of the fight or. Or they were stunned for a couple rounds. Yeah, definitely. I think oh, Chewbacca does get wounded a few times. Um, Finn clearly gets wounded. I mean, he yeah. gets sliced open by Kylo. Well, Han, get, oh, no, Han gets stabbed, star. doesn't he? How does Han die? Any, spoiler. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> Han, oh, Han he gets stabbed, I guess. Yeah. yeah, he does. Yeah. But that's but, the only time I've ever seen Han hit by anything. Yeah, that's probably right now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember in Solo if he gets hit. I haven't seen that that many times. But, I mean, it, that's a good point. In, in, a, in a lot of the fiction for science fiction, like when someone gets hit, it's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like, it's not like, um, you know, like Aragorn and those guys are kind of fighting and they're like, that that's a different style though. It like feels like it's almost like more like they can't get hit and their stamina is just going down. Right. Doesn't Gimli in the books get hit in the head? But they don't do that in the movie, I thought. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't it's probably been decades since I've read Lord of the Rings. I need to do a reread. It's it's been too long. I'm rereading Stephen King right now, which is pretty um, deadly. Um <laughs> how's it going now? How many books do you have left? I, I I've got, you know, like hundred left. I don't know. Stephen yeah, King wrote a lot of books. Say <laughs> <laughs> that's when you said you were taking on that challenge. I was like, that's quite the challenge. I don't know how many books Stephen King has, but I know it's a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll keep me occupied for a number of years, so it's good. But I, I've recently, well, if when when you listen to my latest show, I talk about the newest Firestarter, you know, movie. Skip that and just watch the TV show Sci-Fi did. <laughs> but, sure enough. Has there ever been a good Stephen King movie? Yes. There, there are a number of good Stephen King movies. That's crazy. There are probably good ones I don't even know. I just know there's been a lot of bad Stephen King movies. Well, I, I guess it depends how we want to define good, right? So if we want to define good as far as the general audience, The Green Miles counted as a good movie. Stand mm-hmm. By Me is counted as a good movie. They're both Stephen King. They're adaptation Stephen King works. So I would say those, I would put those up because I think even your average housewife or your average non-horror person would agree the Green Mile and Stand By Me are good movies, right? Those are both good movies. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, so, so there you go. If you, now, if if you are willing to go into the horror genre or the campy genre, B-movie genre, yeah, I think there are a bunch more good ones. But those are the ones I'd put out there as legitimately like good, good movies, right? Um, yeah. I, I mean, The Shining. 
didn't he hate The Shining and then he yeah. did it and made it bad? The the TV adaptation has challenges, sure. Um, it's yeah, it's um, he he yeah he hated Kubrick's Shining. He but the only movie he sued to get his name off of was Lawnmower Man. Okay. Yeah, where we get to see Pierce Brosnan's bare chest throughout the movie a fair bit. You see a lot of a man. Is that why he sued? What's no? He sued because it had nothing to do with the book <laughs> at oh. all, and they had his name on there, Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. But it, his book had nothing to do with virtual. I don't know if you've seen Lawnmower Man or not. I, you know what? That came on at the time when horror movies scared me as a small child. So no, I probably didn't watch it. I've got it as a role playing game. We can play it as a role playing game. I've got, I've, Try anything once. It, so so the the book. Okay, everybody. Spoilers for Lawnmower Man. So you may want to pause this, but in the book, I only the book has nothing to do with virtual reality. I'll just let me just say that. Go read the short story. The short story is crazy, and when you read the short story, you'll understand why they did not make it into a movie. But I, I won't ruin the short story. But once you read it, you'll understand why it wasn't made into a movie. But the movie they decided to make it virtual reality, and you know Stephen King's like this has nothing to do with my story. You can't put my name on this. And he sued him. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there are a bunch of other movies out there that have nothing to do with this stuff. I mean, Children of the Corn has 11 or 12 freaking Children of the Corn movies out there. <laughs> Come on. The Mangler yeah. has, there's at least three Mangler films out. The Mangler was where the the um, clothes washing machine was killing people. Um, th- there's a, a industrial clothes washing machine that kills people. That's what the Mangler's all about. There's three movies about that. I mean, it's <laughs> looking at the images of the lawnmower man on Google, it looks pretty bad. It's on it's on maybe HBO Max. It's it's actually on one of the streaming services. Actually, it's it's maybe worth seeing it. So the thing with the lawnmower man is it's a 90s movie. So CGI is very young. It, CGI is a new thing and they go CGI heavy and it's got that whole this is what we think virtual reality is going to be like. And of course, it's nothing like what they thought it was going to be like. You know, you know, but it, it, it's a fun movie if nothing else. You know, you, you'd see your well, Pierce Brosnan like bad movie. Bad yeah, movie night or yeah, something. it's a bad new movie night movie, definitely. Um, it's yeah, a lot of Stephen King movies fall in bad movie night, right? Like like Silver Bullet, I would say is a good movie. It, I mean, it's got a bad werewolf costume, but it, but it's a good movie. Just looking at the imagery here, how did they make a role playing game? <laughs> it's, the the great thing is it's based on Phoenix Command, which is one of your crunchiest most i mean phoenix man is uh, it's d1000 hit locations like 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 tables right it used system shock instead of hit points um phoenix command is a super complicated they did the brahm strokers for dracula in phoenix command as well so so the brahm strokers for dracula role-playing game which i have has stats in there for modern like helicopters because <laughs> you can bring up the modern day and you like vampire hunt so it's, it's but it's got but when you look through the book it's got pictures from the um francis ford coppola dracula movie <laughs> with gary oldman and keanu reeves so it's pretty great i i i click weird i have the ghost dog role playing game too actually if, if you ever want to do that but you know anyhow we i i think we've kind of got all yeah, now we're in the lawnmower man yeah now we're in the lawnmower which, which is science awesome. fiction right the, yeah. the, the one of the cool things about the lawnmower game man that you know we've been drinking folks because we talked about what we we're drinking 
that's why we're slurring our words, but the, or why Jason's slurring his words, but the lawnmower man game, you make your primary character and then you make three backup. They're not backup characters. They're like three helpers. <laughs> so you kind of have troop play in that game, which is kind of interesting. You actually end up with your main character and then like his assistants or his helpers, like these alternate, like lower powered characters that like help him. You have landscaping service. Is that what the game's about? Uh, no, that's, yeah, I'm telling you, have you ever read the story or are you just Google? No, no, I'm not. Oh, I'm not a horror person. Um, I just never have been. So yeah. it's not. Yeah, you're, you're, that... yeah. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. You're not, you're not missing. But the, you, if you read the internet synopsis, like you go on the internet, you read the synopsis of the short story, you'll understand why they didn't make a movie about it. <laughs> it's, and um, well, didn't Stephen King know that a movie couldn't be made about it, or just that he fell off the rights? Like, well, I think he. So it was part it. of a short story. It wasn't, you know, it was part of a short story collection. I forget which one. Maybe it was a Night Shift or one of the other short story collections. And I don't know how the rights thing. I don't know if somebody bought like all the right because at the time they were buying rights to everything he did. You know, because they made adaptations. Stephen King. I don't know. That'd be interesting to, to research. What author has the most adaptations of their works? Stephen King's got to be up there because there are dozens of Stephen King properties have been made in the movies. Now, the other person would be way up there would be, um, damn it, Harlan um, Ellis. No. Who, yeah. The Blade Runner was based, Harlan Ellison, right? Wasn't he the sci fi author that did the electric sheep? dream you know what they based blade runner on isn't it this is philip k dick philip k dick thank you that's it philip k dick he had there's a ton of movies based on his properties as well but stephen king probably has the the title for the most movies off his property they made a bunch of movies off hg wall's properties and Edgar rice burroughs but but they made a ton of stephen king movies like everything he wrote minority report was phil k dick yeah yeah i didn't know that yeah yeah, so was um a few here. Yeah, so was that one with um Total Recall. Yeah, Total Recall was and the one where they could I, I'm brain farting who was starring in it. Now it's got Uma Thurman. Movie of all time. But, but yeah, there are a bunch. Phil, Phil K. Dix did a bunch of them. And um some of them are better than others. <laughs> but the the one with Ben Affleck, I think, where he, he like reverse engineered technology and then the machine you could see in the future or see in the past or whatever. Um, paycheck, I think. I think that was full K Dick too. But you're the you're the film snob that watches all the movies. Yeah, I, I, I do watch a lot of movies. Um, but yeah. Man, I don't know if that makes me a film excited. snob. I, I've introduced you to bad movies that are good movies that you've enjoyed. No, we need to get back at that, by the way. We fun. we do. I, I think we've, I don't know if I'll cut this interview off like 30 minutes earlier from now or what, because we've really gone off track. We're going off track. You can just cut it and just be like, yeah, so Eric and I talked for a bunch more about a bunch of other jibble, jibber jab, um, and I'll yeah. put that in a bonus episode called Eric and Jason Jab about nothing in particular at all. P- pretty much. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll cut in and put a warning, but. But thank you for recording it with me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your, your attempting to answer questions. on. The, I, I agree with you. I think sci-fi maybe 
is a little more work than than fantasy. Can be. If it doesn't have to be not that. willing to. It doesn't have to be. If you're willing to improv and kind mm-hmm. of just go with the flow and make up stuff um, as it happens, it it works. And and I know people are like, why do that in fantasy? Well, it, it does. It is a little bit different in sci-fi, just because it's everything. It, you got to look at everything. The technology is essentially a magic item, right? So it's like the most money hall campaign that you can do. Because anything that you give someone with access to technology is basically a magic item, right? So kind of getting us back on track to wrap this up. And Solar Blades, I gave out too many grenades to Mark's character. And so then he was using them and they were kind of like the easy win button, right? Like throw a grenade in here, throw a grenade in here. So I like had to figure out like, okay, I gave him too many grenades and I'm not just going to take them. Right. So I have to get him to use them. So I'm going to throw a lot of minions at him in situations where he's like, oh, this is a perfect chance to throw a grenade. Right. I'm like, oh, good. Get him out get get him to use the grenade so that the boss fight later isn't him just throwing a bandolier of grenades at him and someone <laughs> shooting him with a laser pistol and exploding him. Right. So, right. Um, that I think that's the, the, the one challenge is in, in sci fi is you can kind of unbalance things pretty quickly with the the technology that you give the characters and and that's not me saying don't give them technology i'm the first person who's going to give you a bunch of cool stuff um you just have to understand that that could have repercussions yeah i I think the other thing with sci-fi that's important to do is to have that session zero or those pre-game talks where you establish the tech level of the campaign and what's out there and, and what's possible you know whether so people have an understanding is this Future or we like with your game, your Solar's Blade Solar Blades game. I just approach as Futurama the RPG, and and assumed was, yeah, especially you know, yeah, that was definitely that style of, of game for the most part. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm not complaining about that. I, I it was a lot of fun, and, and actually that's the kind of game I love to play in. You, you know that popcorn sci-fi. I, that's probably my favorite game to play in as a player, without a doubt. Um, but but I think having that heart that is that so if you're playing aliens or alien, then ahead of time you need to establish the idea that yeah you, you know there's you know when when you do long travel in space you're you, you're going to be cryo frozen there's not you, you know there's not real time transmission over long distances there's you know the computers are actually it, it depends how you're going to play it but if the computers are going to mirror what's in the sh- in the movies, then you you know, I mean, you have to set those expectations ahead of time, so people don't expect Star Trek level computers in their Alien game, right? Um, right. So, so it just, or if you're going to do Leprechaun in space, then you know anything goes. So so it's all good. So it, it, you remember, oh, well, you're not a horror guy, so you know three of the horror, three of our '80s horror, '80s '90s horror icons made it into space. Do you know who they are? Leprechaun go into space. Yes, Leprechaun went. Oh yeah, yeah. He he went into space and then he went to the hood twice. Um, but, know that Leprechaun in the hood. I knew that that yeah. is. And, and then we had Leprechaun back into the hood, but there are two, two, two Leprechaun in the hood movies. But he he did go into space. Jason went into space. On Friday, you remember Jason went into space. Yeah. Yep. And Pinhead and Hellraiser went into space. Okay. And well, actually, Freddy Krueger's never been to space. No, Freddy's not been to space. 
Dracula was in space, but I don't know that I count him as a, like an 80s horror monster. So I, I don't really count that. But there was the Dracula 3000 where he is in space. Dracula was in Monster Squad, though. Yeah, he was. And which was a classic 80s uh, movie. That's true. But yeah. Um, Man's got nards. Monster Squad is still one of my, you know, so classic movie. I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but it's high up there. It's I've got a copy of it. You know, on the shelf we, over here. I, I recently watched it and uh, with the family, and I had not watched it in so long, and I had not realized some of the language. Realized uh-huh. it is no longer appropriate for current societal norms. Well, yeah, I mean, it's well, a lot of the you know that's definitely changed. There, there's no, there's no question about it. The some of the things that were appropriate jokes. In these 80s movies are not appropriate jokes anymore. No, no, I was I was like, kids, you cannot repeat that. It's <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, well, thank you for talking about sci-fi games and, and leprechaun. That that's that's good stuff. I'm gonna go watch it right now. Yeah. There, there's like nine leprechaun movies, believe it or not. <laughs> I need a leprechaun movie marathon. I, there, there are more Hellraiser movies than either of them. There's like I forget how many, there's like 13 Hellraiser movies. Which is crazy. How many movies? Or there's at least I, there's a bunch of maybe not thirteen. There's like nine of there's a there's a but the, the problem is that you you're not missing a whole lot. Um, actually, the first ones the the first three arguably are decent. After the first three, they really go good shit. Um, I don't know how many there are because this article is not showing me how many. The thing is, there's ten. Yeah, okay, there's ten. I think Children of the Corn has of the movies that ever were released in cinema. Children of the Corn, I think, is the um, is the winner of the most for the those kind of horror movies. Friday, oh no, Friday Thirteenth. There's thirteen, I think, twelve or thirteen, depending if you count Jason versus Freddy with the reboots and everything. There's a lot of Friday Thirteenths. Um, Actually, Halloween may be past them now because they've been making new Halloween movies and they've, you know, they're having another one coming out next year. So Halloween may ha- maybe Jason Myers might pull into the front. But if we go into straight to DVD movies, like things like Full Moon Studios, there are some series that have probably more than any of these. But actually theater movies, actually now Halloween probably has the most. It's probably the horror franchise, the most theater releases. It's probably Halloween. Creepy imagery here in these movies. What, what the Leprechaun movies? Years ago, I don't know if this is still the case. Years ago, the franchise with the most films was actually Tarzan. They weren't all connected, but there were more Tarzan movies than there were like Godzilla movies or James Bond movies or any of that. At one point, but Tarzan movies aren't as popular anymore. So, for for good reason. Okay, All right, homie, I'm gonna yep. head out. Nope, I think that's good. Thank you for joining me for this discussion. I appreciate it, and I hope people don't cancel my show after this. But if they do, those are my 350th episode, so that's okay. It's a good number to go out on. So, I'll just guess. I'll I'll just appear as a guest on the 3D Omega. Or the Omega 3D chicken coop yeah, in the future. One of those in like a year. 
Yep, you're slacking. Okay. Well, say good night, Eric. Good night. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, your butcher is a dustman, and your moil is by a tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. And the world has gone to hell We're living for the dying and 